growing up around strong, independent women like my, you know, like my mum, my grandmother, my sister-in-law, my siblings, you know, they are all women that have created paths for themselves. Mm. Um, and I was shown at a young age that you work hard and you can achieve. So actually I never went into policing with the intention of obviously climbing the ranks, but actually I enjoy being a leader and I now recognize that I have got really good leadership skills, but actually I use those leadership skills in order to support others and help them succeed or help them achieve the best that they can achieve within the organization because every once in a while we all need a helping hand don't we and a bit of guidance and a bit of support and that's where I really get my fulfillment so I don't know I genuinely do believe it started at McDonald's because I liked helping you know the young 16 17 year olds that have just come out of school helping them into the workplace and now obviously within policing I'm seeing young students coming through and women certainly who want to have that balance of how do I raise a family and have a career. So, you know, I like being that mentor that can show them how to do both because you can have both. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Detective Sergeant Nita Simpson embarked on her career with the West Midlands Police in 2002 and never looked back. Highlighted by her peers as a role model in the public service sector, Nita has been at the forefront of West Midlands Police's Family Matters initiative, ensuring support and flexible systems are in place to enable women with families to fulfil their aspirations within the police. Nita not only helps support and mentor student officers, but as part of her day job, is also a fully trained hostage and crisis negotiator. Nita was honoured at the Asian Women of Achievement Awards in 2020 in recognition of her sterling efforts in policing and helping others. I grew up in Birmingham. Both my parents and my siblings actually were all born in India and my dad came over in 1968 and my mum followed I think in 1976 with my siblings so I was born a year later so there was an 11 year gap between me and my siblings so they were always a lot older than me but I don't know what age I was when my grandparents moved in with us so we were quite an extended family growing up in Birmingham and I just remember obviously being the baby of the family mum and dad used to go out to work so I was more or less brought up by my grandparents. They used to take me to and from school. And life was very different back then because actually we were almost treated like mini adults quite quickly. I remember going to the corner shop at such a young age to go and get the milk and stuff at lunchtime, mm-hmm. whereas we'd never dream of doing that with our kids now. But yeah, so life was slightly different. And I had all my cousins and relatives. We all lived in close proximity to each other, as most Asian families do. So yeah, I had a good childhood, surrounded by friends and family. So you were never really alone as such. And did you enjoy school? Were you a particularly good student? Being the youngest, did it mean you got away with a little bit more? Or what was the school experience like for you? 
Um, I remember parents' evenings, and my reports used to say that she talks too much. <laughs> so I think that was the gen- <laughs> that was the general feedback I used to get from school reports. I always say to my kids now, I absolutely love school. I love primary school. I love secondary school. It was just, it was a great place to be because you were with your friends all day. So why would you not want to go to school and hang out mm. with your friends all day? I absolutely loved it, but clearly, yeah, I could have done better at school had I not talked so much. But um, <laughs> that's life, isn't it? Here we are. <laughs> and you are a detective sergeant now. So was that the role that you went into straight from school? Did you start training right away? What was the transition for you into becoming a police officer? No, so I, um, growing up, my mum was very much of the opinion that I needed to get myself an education. All my siblings finished secondary school, didn't have an education following secondary school and all got married at the age of 18. So having that 11 year gap, my mum was very much of the opinion that I needed to get myself an education so I could get a good job and stand up on my own two feet. So from quite a young age, I knew that I needed to do well enough at school to get to university so that I didn't get married at the age of 18. (laughs) But obviously going through college and university, you know, we as a family, all I've ever known is people working and grafting and earning money to bring into the house. So, you know, I saw my siblings having jobs before they got married. My parents had jobs. Everybody grafted. So when I turned 17, I think it was, I applied for a job at McDonald's as it was then. Got a job at McDonald's part-time. That I was obviously going to stay there until I'd finished my degree. But even while I was there, very early on, I suppose, and I probably got that from when I was at school, actually, I realised I had some good leadership skills. Hmm. So I worked my way up in the leadership ranks within McDonald's and finished as a senior shift running manager before I left. Because it was while I was at McDonald's and dealing with some of the incidents that I dealt there, and having an input from some police officers whilst I was at university that they um, suggested that I might want to go into policing. So I literally finished my degree and a week later I had joined the force. So yeah, it's just my intention was never to be a police officer. It's not the done thing in our culture. You know, it's not the sort of dream that's sold to young Asian women to be police officers. Teachers, yes, because I was doing a degree (laughs) in professional studies and childcare. So I was going to be a teacher. But actually, some of the leadership skills I'd learned, some of the skills I'd picked up whilst working at McDonald's, dealing with challenging customers and appeasing them were the sort of skill set that I could take into policing. And for me, it's a public service um, and I want to give something back. So it just seemed like the right thing to do. And that's how I got into policing. Because I worked at McDonald's as well. And that their leadership scheme is actually really, really tough, isn't it? Because it's something that you might think of and potentially poo-poo it almost but you have to study and you have to take exams and it's really quite a rigorous approach to leadership that McDonald's have so that in itself is quite an achievement isn't it and is is that something that prepared you almost it sounds silly to compare the two but like you say you'd already obviously had relations with the police as part of that and then you learn so much structural leadership qualities did that all come nicely together for you yeah. and you thought this will work, this is something it's, I can do? It's so bizarre. I've never put the two together, but actually, you know, that's the first time it's occurred to me. I've always said the exam conditions, the amount of work that you have to put in to progress within McDonald's mm. is really hard. And the level of knowledge that you need to retain on some of those exams is really challenging. And actually, as soon as you join policing, the law and legislation that you have to learn 
and even again working through the ranks. So when I went for the rank of sergeant, I had to pass a, a legal exam. I've um, just last year I passed a legal exam for inspector role. So I suppose, yes, it did, because actually it's a determination to pass that exam and pass those exams in order to achieve, isn't it? So maybe yeah. that's where I did learn it because I had a passion to achieve and that's where it started, clearly. But I'd never thought about it like that before, but you're quite right. It's weird, it's weird to compare the two because they don't naturally sit together, but it's, I mean, having actually worked at McDonald's <laughs> and gone through that process, I, I really do actually feel your pain because it's, um, it's almost yeah. like, yeah, it's so strict and stringent. But I mean, going on to your career now, the reason I'm speaking to you today, because you've won a top honour. You were recognised at the National Asian Women of Achievement Awards last year and one of the virtual ceremonies. It's because through your work, you've been at the forefront of West Midland Police's Family Matters initiative, ensuring support and flexibility is there to enable women with families or who want a family to be able to fulfil their aspirations within the police. So you mentioned the childcare element and that side to your studies and your interests and obviously coming from a relatively big family was that something you think was a natural trajectory for you when you went into the police force or did something happen to make that manifest itself no so I think you know again growing up around strong independent women like my you know like my mum my grandmother my sister-in-law my siblings you know they are all women that have created paths for themselves mm. um, and I was shown at a young age that you work hard and you can achieve so actually I never went into policing with the intention of obviously climbing the ranks but actually I enjoy being a leader and I now recognize I have got really good leadership skills but actually I use those leadership skills in order to support others and help them succeed or help them achieve the best that they can achieve within the organization because Every once in a while, we all need a helping hand, don't we? And a bit of guidance and a bit of support. And that's where I really get my fulfilment. So I don't know. I genuinely do believe it started at McDonald's because I liked helping, you know, the young 16, 17 year olds that have just come out of school, helping them into the workplace. And now obviously within policing, I'm seeing young students coming through and women certainly who want to have that balance of how do I raise a family and have a career? So, you know, I like being that mentor that can show them how to do both because you can have both. And do you think being identified as a role model and a mentor, obviously there's an association of, you know, you being held up for someone to aspire to, young women to aspire to. Is that something that you feel the pressure of or is it something like you're saying you come from a background of strong women, they hugely influence you? Is it something that is just you take it in your stride? Yeah, I, I, I see it as an honour, actually. You know, I don't I genuinely don't feel the pressure of it because actually I wish there was more women like me around that could act as role models to aspire to. But, you know, we've, we've come a long way in policing and underrepresented groups. There are a lot more of us and there are a lot more of us going through the ranks. But actually, do I feel the pressure of that? No, I, I see it as an honour and I'm really proud to be role models to others. And I'll do everything that I can to support those individuals coming through the organisation so that they can then achieve their best. And how important do you think it is that idea of you can't be what you can't see? And you were just saying there are people from underrepresented backgrounds in particular. that you, you do, you look for someone in your image, don't you, that is doing what Absolutely. you want to do. 
I mean, did you do that? And how, again, how do you feel the pressure on you maybe to be that for somebody else? Yeah, that's a really good question. Naturally, when we walk into a room, we gravitate to people who are like us. Mm. Um, and actually, a lot of the time in policing, you walk into a room and you're the only person of that colour or of that gender. So it can be an isolating place at times, but you've got to rise above that. And I will genuinely say, actually, within policing, even just joining CID, my main influence was a male detective sergeant who to me was like the epitome of what a detective sergeant should be. Mm. He was caring and compassionate towards his victims and actually he wanted to get them justice by apprehending the offenders. So actually he was an inspiration to me and he didn't look anything like me and obviously he was a man. So I just think it's having the right role models around mm. that are there to support you. Um, pressure's a, a strange word, isn't it? I don't feel the pressure of being a role model. But it can be a pressurised situation sometimes when you're trying to prove your worth yeah. in an environment where there aren't others like you around. Is there a standout moment for you? And I mean, you've just alluded to a person that you, you know, like you say, it was it came to mind when you were thinking of somebody that you aspired to be, but that you would say helped mould your interests and set you, I suppose not set you off on this path, but maybe helped guide you on it and pointed you in the right direction and gave you a listening ear when you needed one? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say genuinely it was him. Very young in service. I joined obviously frontline policing as all police officers do and you're on response and you responding to the 999 calls. But I loved starting with a job and finishing with the job. So I wanted to deal with the victim and the offender and then get justice for the victim. Mm. But that can be quite disjointed in policing sometimes because obviously we have our CID colleagues who take on the investigation role. And I early doors started to link in with him. And I don't know whether he saw the enthusiasm in me or saw something in me that he said that I would be suited to the world of CID because I had the right investigative mindset. So he nurtured and supported me into joining that department. And here I am now as a detective sergeant. So, yeah, I suppose it's just having the right people that recognise the skills in others and are willing to take the time out to support them. And he certainly did that for me. Do you ever feel imposter syndrome at all? Is that something that affects you in oh your day to day? All the time. <laughs> it's the only question, right? <laughs> I don't think there's any woman that doesn't feel it, but honestly, all the time. I'm currently going for the inspector process, which is in a couple of months' time. And just this weekend, you know, the amount of people that tell me that I'm ready, that I am good enough and that I will be okay. But actually that, that imposter just creeps in. And then sometimes it can be quite overwhelming because you start doubting yourself. Mm. But again, for me, what I really learned, you know, in my 18-year service as well, is surrounding yourself with people who are honest enough to tell you a, if you're good enough, or B, whether you're having those moments of self-doubt, and just talk you and support you through those moments where that imposter is trying to creep in and help you push the imposter away and just allow you to carry on and succeed. So yeah, every day, <laughs> every day is the answer to that. <laughs> and on the other end of the spectrum, across all the work you've done, is there any one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? Um, yeah, so, you know, I love being a detective sergeant, I really do, and I've investigated some amazing cases and got some real fulfilment from dealing with some of those victims and getting justice for them. But actually, when we talk about people that look like us and we want to aspire to, I um, 
I was aware of negotiators within our force, hostage and crisis negotiators, and never thought that that was a role for me because I didn't see people like me there and just didn't think it was something that I would be able to achieve until again, somebody, another detective sergeant, actually he's now inspector, recognised those skills in me and said, actually, I think you'd be a really good negotiator. And again, you have that imposter syndrome, which says, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. But actually having the support of somebody like him who said, I really think you should put in for it and give it a go. And actually now, you know, I am a qualified um, hostage and crisis negotiator. And it's the best thing I've ever done. So that is a massive achievement for me because it's not a role that I ever thought that I would be able to do. And now I am one of those trained individuals and absolutely love it. So, yeah, that's a real proud achievement for me. Have you ever had to put those skills into use? Because it seems to me like that would be the most terrifying job to do to try and negotiate <laughs> in a crisis or you know, try and release a hostage. Have you ever actually had to, to use them? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, on a regular basis, we get called out and we have to apply those skills. So whether it be in a crisis situation or whether it be in a siege situation, we regularly put those skills to test. And we also have obviously CPD days where we can go and try our skills in a safe learning environment. So, yeah, just the best job, best job in the world, because, again, you're dealing with victims and people in crisis that they need a shining light so they can find their way out of that crisis. And mm. it's just the best feeling. It really, really is. Um, on a personal level, how do you deal with adrenaline? Because I'm really rubbish. I get very, very nervous before doing, <laughs> even just talking to people sometimes. You build it up into your head and there's, there's this rush of adrenaline. And again, I'm thinking in these particular high-risk, high-stakes situations, it just must be like yeah. coursing through your veins. How do you, yeah. is there other ways of mitigating that or making it work in your favour? So really interesting, but I um, I did my master's last year in management and leadership and I did my final dissertation on negotiators and why police officers volunteered to be negotiators. And actually I interviewed 15 negotiators and all of them, including myself, were all adrenaline junkies. Mm. Not like, don't get me wrong, I ain't going to go on a roller coaster. I'm not that sort of girl. <laughs> I hate roller coasters. <laughs> not that sort of adrenaline. But you know, when job comes in when your phone rings when you're on call and you know that there's a job coming in just you know the buzz that you get from that and it it sounds quite warped really I don't mean oh my god there's somebody in crisis and I'm getting a buzz out of it but actually mm. it's the buzz is from the fact that you're going to help someone and you're going to go out there today and that you know you're going to get that sense of achievement at the end of it and that real sense of fulfillment so it, yeah it's a weird sort of adrenaline feeling it's not the sort of feeling that makes you feel sick or nervous mm. It just really gives you up because you're prepared to take on whatever comes your way because you want to get the best result for the victim. It's such an unusual situation to, for me to get my head yeah, around. It's a weird yeah. sort of adrenaline. It's not the sort of adrenaline that you get. I hate going on roller coasters. Yeah, I hate them because I don't like that feeling because it's mm. the it's in the pit of your stomach. I don't like that. This sort of adrenaline, it's different. It's weird. It's weird. It's a buzz. It's a proper buzz. It might be something to do with control. Maybe because you feel like you've got more control. What you're saying with a roller coaster, you don't really do you. You're just going to sit yeah. there and go on the ride. Whereas in a, you'd hope, <laughs> in a hostage negotiation crisis talk, you haven't, you've prepped and you have experience and you probably have more yeah. of a guide through it. I suppose, but there's an element of the unknown. So as much as we can control and prepare and train and hope and put our skills to 
whatever incident it is but actually there's a huge element of the unknown because we mm. don't always know like one thing I've learned in my job especially in hostage and crisis negotiations is don't presume you know what you're going to go and deal with because actually nine times out of ten it ends up being something totally different mm. so you've got to be really open-minded and the control isn't always in our hands we have to gain the control back sometimes so yeah it's not even that it's bizarre it's just a sort of buzz that you get because I think you know what the end product is going to be. And it's a euphoria of achieving what you set out to achieve, which was to help someone. How did you first hear about the Woman <laughs> of the Future programme and what inspired you to get involved? The first time I heard of it was when one of my colleagues nominated me. I'd never heard of it before. But yeah, one of my colleagues nominated me and obviously I went on to win the award. And now, you know, I love getting involved in all the events that they put on because there aren't enough Asian women out there for us to aspire to, for us to look up to. And I genuinely believe that we need to support each other. And I really enjoy being a part of it because again, like I said to you earlier, you need those networks. Other demographics within our society have those networks, don't they, of people that they can go to for support and guidance. So I think it's a really important platform where people can go and seek support and advice and guidance and it's just a brilliant brilliant association of women who want the best for each other so yeah that's that's how I learned about it Um, and now I'm really grateful to be a part of it. Obviously the the awards ceremony was done virtually which was new for Women of the Future itself but this whole virtual setting, working virtually, being in the midst of a pandemic, I'm imagining in your role in particular and your career must have been incredibly challenging. How have you managed this past year? And are you hoping we take any real kind of like tangible learnings forward as we hopefully emerge out of the other side? Yeah, it has. um, It's been a really challenging year for everybody, regardless of your background or what organisation you work for, because we've all had to adapt to the lifestyle that we've got, you know, I've got two young daughters. So during the first lockdown, even though I'm a key worker and they could have gone to school, the role that I was in, again, you know, I work covering three police stations. Well, I couldn't just go round station to station because I was effectively going to go around spreading my germs. So I was in a fortunate position that I could do my role from home. Obviously, I couldn't do my hostage negotiation stuff at home. I have to still go out to that. But my day job, I could do from home. But then that was challenging in itself, having the children at home, because then I felt bad sending them to school, knowing that I was working from home. You know, just the same as many women and men out there who are trying to homeschool and work from home, it was really, really challenging. Mm. And we had to find a way of adapting and having rotors at home, (laughs) which isn't (laughs) a normal process to go through. (laughs) But, you know, um, I think technology, we've always adapted it in many different forms but actually in our organization I think you know the onus has always been of people being in offices and face-to-face engagement but actually I think we are being a lot more productive and a lot more efficient by having some of these meetings over Skype just the way that me and you are you know how how far would I have traveled to come to see you or you to come to see me the carbon emissions and all that that plays into it so actually I hope going forward that we've learned some lessons of the fact that we don't need to go jump on a train or travel in a car and actually this I know it's not the same and I genuinely I miss human encounters because I'm a people person I like being around people and I believe we can still have that 
but actually we shouldn't then shy away from this either because I think it helps towards so many different elements of helping the environment, saving money for ourselves as an organisation. I think there's huge benefits that we can all have, doesn't matter what organisation you work for. And just the well-being piece as well. Sometimes it's not ideal running around from place to place to place, but actually we can sit in the comfort of our home and still fulfil our brief and do an excellent job. So um, I think going forward, I hope some of these days actually, because I think it's um, it's good for people. But then obviously the human element, we still want to be around people, don't we? So I think there needs to be a fine balance going forward, actually, I think because the balance was probably the other way too much mm. before. And agile working for me is definitely the way forward. Oh, yeah, for sure. I have some quick fire questions for you. Here we go. What would you describe as your greatest success? I've already told you my greatest success is successfully becoming a hostage crisis negotiator. That's my greatest success. And your greatest failure? Oh, um, I (laughs) I can't think of any. I can't think of any. Genuinely, I, I don't think I've ever classed anything as a failure in my life because everything's a learning point. So yeah. I think failure is a really strong word. I don't think I'd class anything as a failure. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> that's, that that's a really good answer. I agree with you. It's always something to be able to learn from or just to bounce back from or to use constructively. Yeah. I agree with you. Okay, next one. The mantra of the woman of the future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? Oh, God. Um, You know, in my personal life, I've got two amazing little girls who I teach them to be kind every day. And we use the philosophy of if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything nice. Mm -hmm. Don't say anything at all. Because, again, they bicker between themselves sometimes. And I say to them... There are plenty of people out there in the world that will put you down. You don't need to do that to each other. You should support each other and lift each other up. So that's where the kindness comes from in my house and the collaboration piece. You know, me and my husband work really hard to build a secure life for our two girls and hopefully allow them to grow up and be very strong, independent little girls. In my workplace, you know, I've already shared with you, I love mentoring um, staff. I love seeing people succeed. And for me, you know, we're all going through really challenging times at the moment and we never know what a person's going through. So for me, I always like to take the time out to speak to people. And even sometimes just saying hello to somebody as you're passing them in the corridor can make a difference to somebody's life when potentially the only people that they speak to is their colleagues and they go home and they've got no one to speak to. So for me, kindness is about engaging with people and connecting with people and collaboration. You know, none of us can do any of this on our own and being part of this amazing platform it's all about sharing and caring isn't it and supporting each other and lifting each other up so that's what it means to me in my personal life and my work life is there anything that scares you oh that's a bit deep isn't it (laughs) 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 since it isn't too too early to go um Uh, this is going to sound really strange and I've probably never said this before the age of 40 but I'll say it now the only thing that scares me is death Mm. which is really morbid and it's never scared me before but I suppose I reached the age of 40 but the age of 40 my sister was diagnosed with terminal cancer Mm. um, and this year I lost my niece who was 34 from cancer as well so I think it's the fear it's the fear of death 
But actually that then pushes me more now because of my losses to succeed even more. And when I say mm. succeed, as in, you know, fulfill my life by helping more people because actually I want to leave a bit of a legacy. So yeah, it's a fear that I'm turning into a positive, I suppose. Mm. That's a weird way of looking at it. Have you watched the Disney movie Soul? I was watching it yesterday because I've got a little girl who's four and we started watching it and I was like, this yes. is a bit weird. <laughs> it's kind of in this weird headspace and he's trying to get back and then he gets back and he turns into a cat and all of this thing. Yes. But I think the wider, yes. I was like, what is going on here? And it, <laughs> in all honesty, it freaked me out a little bit. But then I thought there's a really, obviously there's a, it's a Disney movie. So there's a really lovely underlying theme and tones that you're supposed to carry yeah. forward. And I think you're so right and I think death is something that amplifies when you do have children or when you start to lose people in your life and it's the one thing that none of us know about so I'm with you on that yes yeah and I think you know you're right as well the parent element and I think it's being a parent Mm. uh, um is that fear of leaving your parent children behind so that amplifies it as well yeah very strange but yeah that's a, we watched that film during lockdown and it was a very it was a family moment actually it was a, it's a weird but special film isn't it you're right you're very highly right. recommended though <laughs> right finally what's left on your to-do list oh god so much mm. um i oh again we're gonna get really deep now but i want to watch my two girls grow up um how old are they two amazing independent women so that's a big to do but that's not in my control um 10 and 12 so the 12 year old is just starting on her little journey of being a little teenager but yeah so but it's not in our control is it but every day is important with them and every day is a school day where i can teach them how to be kind and how to be amazing little girls so so much to do, yeah, personally and professionally and professionally, I just want to carry on inspiring other people, Asian women, Asian young girls to join my profession. I absolutely still love my job 18 years on and it's not the sort of career that Asian women seem to go into, but I just want to share that it's given me so much fulfillment, so much satisfaction and hope it carries on doing so for the next however many years. But yeah, I want to carry on inspiring other young Asian women to join our profession because it's the best job in the world in my opinion (laughs) you are so amazing thank you very very much for taking the time to speak to me today I know that as with everybody you're very very busy but it's been so enlightening and thank you for all the work that you do it's really important and I can't emphasize that enough so thank you from the bottom of my heart no thank you for listening and hopefully everyone out there takes as much inspiration as I have so thanks very much thank you Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.